You can turn there with me to 1 John chapter 4. First John 4. And as you're going there, getting your bearings, I, I just remind you, John has been, you know, he's been talking a lot about love. If you kind of look over the context of this, this whole, whole book, this little, this little letter, John is, as he's gone in and out of different subjects, he's talked a lot about love and he's going to come back to this a theme of love this morning in this part of the text where we are. And he's told us back in chapter one, he told us this, that, that um, love for our brothers and sisters in Christ is proof that we're in fellowship with God. That's one of the things that he told us about love. So our love for one another proves that we actually are in fellowship with the Father. He also told us this, that love for one another, back in chapter three, he told us that love for one another was proof of our identity that we are sons and daughters of God because we love one another. And then as we just got into the start of chapter four, John said this about love. He said, but, but as I say all these things about love, he said, I, I want you to know that love is not mindless. And when we call Christians to be loving, we're not calling them to mindless action. It's not parking your intelligence out the door. He said, we're to practice a discerning love. We're to, to, test, to, to test the spirits. And, and now we get really down to the foundation of the matter or as, we, as we cruise through this text. Why is love important? Why is love important as followers of Christ? Uh, why does it matter? Why is love the valid test of our fellowship? Why is love the valid test of our identity as sons and daughters of God? And we're going to see the reason why is because God is love. That's what John's going to tell us. When we talk about the very nature of God, when we talk about the nature of who God is, what he is, in his character, uh, in his identity, John tells us that God is love. And so if through faith in Jesus, we have a relationship with the Father who is in heaven, we are the children of God and we share in the nature of our Father and the nature of our Father is this, that God is love. The na his nature is love. And so love is the test of the reality of our spiritual life. You, you know what Paul said. He said, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love, right? And so at the start of this chapter, as John told us not to believe every spirit, but to test the spirits, he gave us a clear way to identify what is from the spirit of God and what is not from the spirit of God. He said this, he said that every spirit that I, every spirit that confesses both the deity and the humanity of Jesus, that acknowledges those things is of the spirit of God and any spirit that downgrades Jesus. We talked about this last week. His humanity downgrades his deity, uh, downgrades the fact that he is God who came in the flesh is not from God. And so kind of as we, Consider and remember where we've been. We said this, that if someone's drawing close to God, if they are embracing the teachings of Jesus' humanity and his deity, if they embrace the word of God, if they encourage and point other people to the word of God, then they are of the spirit of God. But if, on the other hand, they're diminishing Jesus, lowering him, downgrading his nature, 
They're making people feel distant from the word of God or lowering and downgrading God's word. They're in error and they do not have the spirit of God. And so John said that's how we distinguish between the spirit of God and the spirit of the Antichrist. And so he says in love we're to test the spirits. We're we're not to be mindless. And so once we determine that, that we are of the Holy Spirit because we believe in the biblical Jesus, the God man, the perfect integration of humanity and Godhood, the next test of reality is is of our spiritual life is the test of love because God is love. And the nature of God is love and and a person who has been born again will respond to God's nature and they will reflect that nature of God. They will practice love because God is loved and it won't be forced for them. It'll be something that comes natural to them as, as a child of God. And so that's why we're called to love one another. That's why Jesus said, you'll be known as my disciples if you, if you love one another. And so it's important that we understand the attribute of who God is, that God is love. And so check out verse seven. That's where we'll pick up the text this morning. It says this, verse seven and eight. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not uh, love does not know God because God is love. Uh, As we've been seeing through 1 John, when John lays out so many of these statements, it's not condemnation, but he's speaking to motivate the body. He is speaking to motivate us as followers of Jesus. Not condemnation, motivation. And so he says, let us love one another. Why? Because God is love. Now, I don't know, like, how you describe that. To be honest, like, I, just this week thinking about it, it's like God is love. Like how do you put a definition to that? <laughs> how, how do you explain that? The truth is, is I, as I was thinking about it, I'm like, I don't really have any words that can capture that. How do you describe that? It's not eros. We've talked about eros the last few weeks, the love between a man and a woman. It's not that. We say God is love. It's not phileia, brotherly love. It's not it's not that. It's agape love. It's a spiritual love. It's, it's the definition of agape is benevolence. That it's, that it's God bidding us to come to him. It's a love that calls. It's like in this sense he's inviting us into his house. That's almost this idea of God's love. You know Jesus said this. He said Here I am, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. That's agape love. Or Jesus said, come to me. All you are heavy, and all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's agape love. Or what John 3.16 tells us, for God so loved the world that God gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's agape love. Or as John chapter 13 tells us that, that Jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it, 
around his waist. Then, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. That's, that's the full extent of God's love that he would take the form of a servant. That's agape love. God is love. God is love. And you know what that doesn't mean? It doesn't mean that love is God. You know, to say God is love and then to say love is God, those are, those are two different things. And often, you know, you, you hear people kind of confuse that. Love does not define God. What, what John is telling us is that God defines what love is. God defines what love is and we see it in the person of Jesus. As we consider his knocking nature, his invitation to come to him. As he says, come to me with your weariness and your burdens. As he takes the, the very form of a servant and serves uh, his, his followers. As he gives his life. That, that is the very definition of love when we say God is love. And God's love is a special kind of love. You know, when we look at some of the attributes of God, even that we see in the book of John, you know, in John chapter 1, John told us that God is light. And when we get to uh, 1 John chapter 5, he's going to tell us that God is life. The scripture tells us that God is spirit. So God is love, God is life, God is spirit, God is light. And so the essence of God's love is born out of who he is. We could say if God is spirit, then God's love is spiritual. If God is light, if he's holy, then his, his love is holy. It's a different kind of love. If God's love is life, then his love is truly life-giving. And the scripture tells us that he pours his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. And so since God is love, if we claim to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then it's necessary that his love begin to manifest itself and reveal itself in and through our lives. We should reflect that same character and nature. Since God is love, Christians ought to love one another. Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? kind of warm in here. Could I ask somebody to flip that? Is that door open? It is? Man, isn't it warm in here? Okay. Maybe let's flip that back one open. So again, look with me to chapter, or verse 7. It says this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Again, I think this is important. Not condemnation, it's motivation. This is what our lives should look like as followers of Jesus. Now, not only have we been born of God, but John says this, that if we love, it is a sign that we know God. It's a sign that we know God. And to know God means that, that we are to be in a, a deep relationship with him, to share in his life, to share in his spirit, to share in, in his love. And what we see here is this, is that who God is determines whom I'm to be as a follower of Jesus. Who he is determines what I'm to be. And the fact that we love one another in word and deed is then proof that we're in 
fellowship with each other. It's proof that we are the sons and daughters of God. It's proof that we've been born of God, that we love one another. It's proof that we know God. That's what he says. And so love is paramount. The greatest of these is love because God is love. You know, the Bible often, and you, and you guys know this, refers to someone's relationship with God as a, as a walk. It's like two friends walking together in a, in a direction, going the same way. And this is the thing about, uh, I guess, a relationship with Jesus, that it's that very thing. It's walking together. It's going in a direction together. It's, it's not this once for all fix when you're in a crisis, you know. Jesus, save me. It's a relationship. It's a daily relationship. It's a, it's a relationship that should be growing. It's a daily experience of getting to know Jesus better and better and better and better. And so if we claim to know God, our lives have to be personally affected by who he is. And so this question for us, you know, what is this life of love looking like for you? See, God is love. He's love. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That was his mission. And in his love, he, he seeks people. He seeks you and I. He seeks us and, and, he, and he pulls us into his kingdom by this great provision that he's made for us on the cross. And he's seeking us. And when you think about it, it's all him. He initiates the whole thing. He does the work on the cross. It's always been, I mean, you know, the longer you walk with Jesus, the more you get to understand this. It's like, man, he's always pursuing me. It was always him. And I just got won by that love. He does the whole thing. And so what did God do? How does God love us? And so John goes there next. He tells us, verse 9. In this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Tripping up there. Verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The greatest expression of God's love is the cross. That is the greatest expression of God's love, the death of his son, Jesus. Romans 5.8 says this, that, that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is the demonstration, the greatest demonstration of God's love. And, and John calls it the manifestation of God's love. The word manifest means to, to put it on display, to show his love. It means to come out into the open or, or to be made public. It's the exact opposite of hiding something or keeping a secret. It's like God is saying, my love is not a secret. Let me show you. I want to proclaim it. And so he sends his son and Jesus gives his life on the cross. The cross is the love of God on display. You know, it's interesting, you think, if you think back to the Old Testament, what you see in the Old Testament is you see the love of God kind of in shadows, you know. You see it in ritual and religion and in sacrifice and in, in the different worship practices of the Old Testament. But in Jesus Christ, the love of God is totally manifest. There's no more secret. There's no more shadow. 
This is the full display of God's love. The veil is torn. The veil is torn. Nothing's in shadow here. Life is made manifest. Jesus said this. He said, you see me? You've seen the Father. There's no secrets here. And Jesus was manifested to take away the sins of the world and to destroy the works of the devil. We sang it this morning to ransom and to rescue you for the sake of his great love. And where did he do it? How did he do it? He did it on the cross. Verse 9 says, God sent his only son into the world and God sent his one and only son not because you first loved him, but because he first loved you. Jesus is called the only son. We know that the word is begotten. Some translations will say that. The only begotten son, that means he's unique. That he's one of a kind and God sent his one and only son not because you first loved him, but he first loved you. He's always seeking you. Seeking to save that which was lost. And here's what Jesus did. John says he became the propitiation for our sins. And propitiation is a funny word, you know. Not all Bible translations have it, but it's, it's an important word. It's an important word to understand. And before I remind you what it means, let me first tell you what it doesn't mean. Here's what propitiation does not mean. It does not mean that men and women must do something to appease God. Pro- propitiation does not mean that men and women must do something to lessen the anger of God against sin. Propitiation, in fact, is nothing that you do yourself at all. Propitiation is something that Jesus has done. And propitiation is something that that God has done through his son Jesus to make it possible for you and I to be forgiven of sin. God's holy. And because God is holy and because there is no sin in him, there's a problem with the relationship with mankind. Men, on the other hand, men and women are sinners. And and the fruit of God being holy and mankind being sinner is this, is that there is this unscalable divide that is between them. Broken relationship. And so how can God, the question is this always in the scripture, how can this holy God who is set apart uh, forgive sinners and still be consistent with his nature? And the answer is this, the cross. The answer is propitiation. There on the cross, Jesus bore the punishment of our sin and he met the just demands of a holy God. And there at the cross, God made manifest his love for us and he made possible a way for us to be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Propitiation means this. It actually means, I always write this in the margin of my Bible and I'll give it to you. Just to, I circle that word and here's what I write in the margin. Mercy seat, covering, atonement. That's what it means, Propitiation. You know, in the Old Testament, the centerpiece of the tabernacle or the temple was what? It was that Ark of the Covenant. That was, that, that was the centerpiece in the Holy of Holies. It was this box made of wood and covered with gold, like, you know, two feet by four feet and, I don't know, about 18 inches deep. And inside this 
box was the Ten Commandments. That's where they were placed. And, and here, here in the center of the temple, what they did was this, is that there was a lid placed on the box. And that lid was called the mercy seat. It was made of pure gold. And it was this thick cover that represented this divide between the law of God and the presence of God. And what would happen is this, is that the high priest would make a sacrifice, blood would be shed, he would come into the Holy of Holies, and he would apply on this mercy seat the blood of the sacrifice. He would make atonement. And now God, a holy God, could have, well, he could tabernacle with his people. That's the picture. He could have a relationship with his people because there was blood and there was mercy and the law of God that was revealing the, the sin of mankind was covered by that, by that blood. So when the scripture tells us that Jesus is our propitiation, it is literally saying Jesus is the mercy seat. He is the mercy seat. And so if this is who God is and if this is what God has done, then John says this, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Have you ever watched those, uh, those infomercials where the salesman's selling his product and kind of flipping channels and there's nothing on so you watch a little bit more and then you think, what a stupid product. <laughs> and then you keep watching and you're like, actually, you know, that's kind of cool. <laughs> I, I could use one of those. <laughs> and, and he goes through his sales pitch and, and, then, and then he says this. You know, he's given the whole, the whole deal and, and he's got you. And then he says, but wait, there's more. <laughs> this is what John's going to do right here. He's going to say, there's more about Jesus that you need to know. Not only is he your mercy seat, not only has he done all this so that you can have this relationship with God, what, what, did, what has Jesus done? Let me remind you, first of all, he has manifested the love of God. He is the son sent into the world. That, that's what he did and the cross is the ultimate picture of God's love for you and I. That's what he did. But what John is going to tell us is God is doing something right now in our midst. That's what he did back then, but now he's doing something. What is God doing? What is God doing in his love in the world today? If it was the cross 2,000 years ago, and, and if through faith in Jesus Christ we are saved, what is God doing in the world today? And the answer is this. He's abiding in you and I. Check it out. Let's read ahead. Verse 12 to 16. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. That's an unbelievable statement. His love is perfected in us. Verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. 
So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. You ever read the Chronicles of Narnia? I remember when I was a kid, we went camping and, and I just remember my mom reading the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, little kids, you know, in the tent. It was so awesome. And, and when Lisa and I were newlyweds, she gave me the Chronicles of Narnia for Christmas. And I'd never read all of the Chronicles of Narnia. So I, I, I read the whole set. And those stories are awesome, aren't they? Like, if you've never read them, you should read the Chronicles. It's not for kids, man. It's for adults. Who's kidding who? <laughs> no. And they're just great stories. And you know, the amazing thing about those Chronicles of Narnia is that they draw your imagination so into the story. Like, I have vivid pictures of certain parts of those books because you're just drawn right in. A similar experience that happens for me, like being drawn in like that, it happens in sports. You guys know I'm like a bit of a hockey freak, a little bit. And, you know, sometimes you get drawn into a sporting event. Like I, I, like, I hate to bring it up, but like there's nothing like 2011 for a Canucks fan, right? The highs and lows of that playoff run were like totally exhausting. <laughs> Sorry if you haven't experienced that. You know, it's like, but literally, it was like, Every second day for two months, every shift, every game, I was riding the wave. The highs and the lows and everything in between. See, I knew Darcy, it would just resonate with his heart right there. And, and the crazy thing is this, is that I wasn't playing in the game. Like when you think about it, that's the crazy part of being a fan. It's like you're actually not playing in the game. And here's the thing, too, about the Chronicles of Narnia. Like, I actually, I'm not a character in the story. It's just in my imagination I participated. And church, this is where the love of God is totally different. See, we're not merely spectators watching an event. We're not merely reading a story we are actual participants in the story of God. We are participants in the event. We are participating in the great drama of God's love. And John actually tells us this. He's like, God lives in you. He's like, God abides in you. His love is actually perfected in you. You know, here's the thing. God's not just satisfied to tell you about his love. He's not just satisfied to show you and to manifest his love on the cross. That doesn't satisfy him. Love himself actually dwells inside of us. And the whole Bible story, you know, when you look at the big story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is telling this very story about God and his desire to have a place to abide, to tabernacle, to dwell. Genesis tells us that he, that's what creation was all about, a dwelling place for him to tabernacle with his creation. The tent of worship in Exodus that we're going to look at 
That's what it was about. God being with his people. The temple. When Solomon built the temple, that's what it was about. God being present with his people. That's what he wanted. It was always about him establishing a place to dwell with his creation. And what the Bible tells us is that time after time after time, the sin of mankind destroyed God's ability to tabernacle with his people and his glory would depart. Adam, where are you? The glory departing from the temple. Garden, tabernacle, temple, and then the glory of God came in a person, the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. John tells us in his gospel, the word became flesh and he tabernacled among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory of God dwelt on earth in the person of Jesus Christ his body was the temple of God. And wicked men nailed him to a tree. The scripture says they crucified the Lord of glory. That's his title, the Lord of glory. They crucified the Lord of glory. But the amazing thing is, is that it was all a part of God's plan. And though they nailed him to that tree, they didn't take his life. Jesus gave up his life. He surrendered his life to the will of his father. He gave up his life on that cross and he died and he was buried and he rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven and then he did this. He sent his spirit to live inside of you. And now the glory of God dwells within the children of God. Do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. And John says this crazy thing. He says, well, it's not crazy. It's a reality. No one's ever seen God. Nobody's seen God. God is spirit. But the scripture tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He has revealed the Father to us. But now Jesus has returned to heaven and he is seated at his father's side and he has sent the Holy Spirit to dwell, to abide, to tabernacle in you and I. So then when we talk about the love of God, the question is this, is how does God manifest his love to the world now? How does he reveal his love to the world? And the answer is this. He reveals his love to to the world through his sons and daughters. He reveals his love to the world through the church. You know, no one has seen God, but I'll tell you what they can see. They can see God's children. The world can see God's children. And if we abide in Christ and we love one another, we'll be known as his disciples. If we abide in Christ and love one another, our love will reveal God's love to a world that, that needs him. A world that he's seeking. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 
Look at verse 12. I want to read this section again and, and check out the word abide. It's in here six times. You might even want to circle it as we go through. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. You know the life of a Christian who abides in God's a powerful witness. It's a powerful witness to the world. You know men and, men and women may not see God but they can, they can see him through our love. That's what the scripture tells us. You know, and I, and I think about this text. I'm actually going to, I actually decided to lay up here this morning. And I was going to go through to the end of the chapter, but I, I want to just stop here because I think there's a bit of a switch that happens and we'll yap about that next week. But I want to leave you with a couple things to think about as we just consider this. The first one is this, that, that the, better, the better you and I know the love of Jesus the easier it will be to live as a Christian. Did you know that? Have you experienced that? That's been my personal experience. Like my personal experience is this, is that when I'm like spending time with Jesus, when I'm walking with him, when I'm in the word, when I'm in the place of prayer, there is, a, there is something natural. It becomes very easy for me to share Jesus with people. <laughs> it, it gets easy to step out of my comfort zone. It gets easier to love someone that I don't want to love. And so I think this text, I want to leave you with this application. One of the calls is this, is you need to know the love of God. Do you know the love of God? And I want to encourage you to just press into your relationship with Jesus and say, Jesus, I want to, I want to know the love of God more. You know, one of the ways that we do that is just to meditate on the cross. That's the love of God made manifest. To greater, have greater understanding of the work of the cross. I think another application from this text is this, that, that unless we love people, unless we love the, love the lost, your verbal witness is pretty much useless. <laughs> John's already told us this. He, he said, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in action. And our lives need to match the declaration of our lips. John is going to go on in this text, and, and why I decided to lay up here is this, is that it kind of continues into chapter 5, and, well, not kind of, it does. And, and John begins to give some evidence of God's love being perfected in us. Let's read through to the end of the chapter and I'll point out the two of them and then I'm going to give you this challenge to go into chapter 5 and say, what else are the evidence of God's love being perfected in me? So verse 17. By this, 
is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. The first sign of God's love being perfected in you is confidence. That's the word. Let's read on. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment that we have from him. Whoever loves God must love his brother. I think the second piece of evidence that points to the perfection of God's love in our life is honesty. We will not be liars. We will love people truly and honestly from our hearts. There's a few more. So I'm going to challenge you. Read ahead into 1 John. And so as we just think about this text this morning, I want to remind you, the more we know God's love, the easier it will be for us to live as followers of Jesus. And unless we love the lost, a verbal witness to them will be totally useless. Children of God, we're called to this. Our God is love, and we are called to love. That's who we're to be. This morning, I'm going to invite the worship team to come. Would you guys stand with me? And uh, this morning, we get to come to the table. Come on up, Jer. We get to come to the Lord's table and share. In the bread, in the juice, which represents the body and blood of our Lord. I love communion because as we come to the table, this is a time of fellowship with God. This is a time where we ask God to search our hearts, to, to work in our hearts, where, where we remember, when we think back and we remember the work of the cross and we remember that which Jesus did for us to manifest the love of God. And we say, Jesus, realign my heart with yours. Search me and see, Jesus. As I remember the cross, as I remember your body and blood, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Set my heart and mind right with you again. And we take time to remember and then we look forward and we say, man, my confidence is in Jesus and this is my motivation for going forward. And so this morning, look, I always give this instruction for us followers of Jesus, this is something, you know, we're not really trying not to be religious. This is not a ritual we're practicing. This is something that Jesus instructed us to practice. And the word of God actually says this, that it warns us to, to eat and drink of the table in an unworthy manner. The scripture says that as we come to the table, we ought to examine ourselves. And so for that reason, I, I, I want to give you this instruction. And it's the instruction that we regularly give. It's this. That maybe, you've, maybe you're here for the very first time. You're welcome to come to the table and participate with us. Okay? If you know Jesus, if Jesus is your personal Lord and Savior, you come to the table and you participate. 
and you ask God to just do a fresh work in your heart. But I would also ask this just respectfully, that if you don't know Jesus, that you just refrain, that you withhold from participating and we won't look down on you or anything like that. This is very meaningful for us. And so you honor God and you honor us by not participating and I, and I appreciate that. But I want to give you a third option and the third option is this, that if you don't know Jesus, but you want to, you hear about the manifestation of God's love through the work of the cross by his broken body and shed blood, he's your mercy seat, he's seeking you, then say, say to Jesus, say this, Lord, I don't know you, but I understand that you're seeking me and I want to respond to you. And so I'm going to come and I'm going to participate with these people. And Jesus, I invite you into my heart and into my life. Would you do that with us this morning, okay? And then do this. You need to tell somebody, I participated. Even though I didn't know Jesus, I've asked Jesus into my heart and I participated for the first time this morning. Would you do that? And so let's uh, just sing. We'll worship. And uh, I encourage you just to do a bit of business with the Lord in your heart. God is love. He's not angry. He loves you. He's made a way for it to be fixed. Do business with him in your heart and then come to the table and receive these elements and we'll partake of them together. All right?